Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. And I'm wondering where in the hell my spooky music is. It's not Halloween yet. It has been Halloween since October, I mean, since August 15th. Like, since October, you said it yourself. Since October 1999, <laughs> it has been a consistent Halloween in the Haley household. Thank you for tuning in to episode 127. I already bought my pumpkins. The Malthouse Games Podcast. My bat wreath is up. Is all about board games. I got pumpkins beer card games i bought some fun fatty dice games spooky kind tabletop games and my margie has a bat costume role-playing games it's halloween in this house <laughs> and things of that sort spooky stuff okay moving on from the spooky stuff Haley. you know it's a great no you know it's great no. no it's great what that how our podcast schedule follows i will get three weeks of spooky music this year you will get three weeks of spooky music but only if you shush it for a second the second the 16th and the 30th stop it stop it thunder okay yes thank you for tuning in and listening about board games and the random shit and Haley annoying me with her wanting for it to be october pumpkin spice season uh but we can't have pumpkin spice not from starbucks but i got me some Khalifa brand and it was delicious oh Khalifa. Califia. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. Either way, it's vegan and it's pumpkin spice, and I'm living my best life, y'all. Happy Halloween, everybody. It is almost Halloween time, which means movie watching time. I'm going to try to do 31 horror movies that are new to me in the 31 days of October. Uh, I am also have convinced Haley. It didn't really take much more than me saying, let's do this. Uh, I think we're going to watch all the classic Universal Monster movies during the month, because I've seen zero of them. So I want to see Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and the Wolfman, and Creature from the Black Lagoon, and Dracula, and and uh, Bride of Frankenstein. I think I already said that. Yeah, I think there's another in there. Invisible Man. Stuff like that. And Creature from the Black Lagoon. I said that. And Bride of Frankenstein. Oh my God. <laughs> we just keep going back and forth. Nosferatu. I've seen Nosferatu. Have yeah. you seen Nosferatu 3 to Nosferatu 2 Furious? Nosferatu, Nosferatu 3. Tokyo Drift. There you go. Two would be the other. Nosferatu, Too Fast, Too Furious. All right. I Nosferat need a beer three. at this point. <laughs> Tokyo Drift. So the first beer this evening is Nosferat from. Nosferatu 4 for family. From Cockendorfer Brewing Co. out of Duncan, Oklahoma. This is their Irish Red Ale. Uh, it's 5.8 alcohol by volume with an IBU of 25. It says a beautiful reddish hue, toasted malt notes balanced with Magnum and Golding's hops. Well, Haley, while I'm pouring this, what have we been up to the last two weeks since we got back uh, from Portland? I think you've been knee-deep in a new comic phase, my friend. Me? What are you talking about? The titty comic was just the tip of the iceberg. It was a free titty comic, okay? You've gotten many more comics since then. Don't know he says he's like the most unlucky person when it comes to winning stuff, yet who won a computer case and has won like three comics in the last two weeks, including one $85 graded comic? It's, a, it's only like 60 bucks. Still, he won it. It was a Ghost Rider one. But Delton's days have been filled with comics and toys and spending all this fun budget money by the 11th. I still got some. That's because you uh, earned some more. That, that, because I earned some more and also because the Upside app and also because of my Google rewards. <laughs> <laughs> they have given me a little extra for the month. It would have been better had I not purchased the... I don't want to say mint on card because that's always sounds just ridiculous, but the inbox on card in very good condition. The mint on card. Walmart exclusive rat trap transformer from 99. Pristine Walmart exclusive. Because when we were in Portland and I talked about this, I bought a rat trap out of box with the card, but it didn't have the bubble. And I love it. 
and the same shop posted on Instagram that he got some mint on card of these, you know, Transformer Beast Wars. And I was like, I have to have that rat trap. It's the Walmart exclusive blue one is just too good. And so I've got it. It's hanging on my wall with my other random like four uh, vintage, if you consider 90s vintage, which it is at this point, uh, toys. I'll say the youngest one on your wall is that Beast Wars one that is 23 years old. I know. Isn't that crazy? That's super crazy. Yeah. Well, the beer here definitely has a little bit of a reddish hue to it. It's more of like a, a a good amber color. You could say it has a tinge of the ginge being a, a red ale. Just Yeah, just a tinge. It smells pretty standard for an Irish red. It's not too pungent. There's not a lot of that, uh, you know, hop characteristic. When you drink it, you get some of that maltiness, but it's like a little bit of a drier maltiness, right? It's not super sweet on the finish. It tastes like pumpernickel bread. It kind of does, yeah. It has that sort of taste to it. But it's good. Cockendorfer has been really good to us, I think, so far. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's an Irish red. It's not, you know, Irish reds to me are never anything fancy. They're not my favorite style, but they're nice to have. And I think this is definitely a really good one. And Cockendorfer, I can't think of what else we've had from them. I see the Imperial Stout and the Ruby Porter. Those were both very good. Uh, yeah, they've been killing it, though. We need to go down and see the facility. Absolutely. Ten stars. Clink, 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 clink. So, Delty, what else have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Uh, like you said. I've been into toys and finding comics that I like, uh, finding out there's an entire world of awesome horror comics. So yeah, we're doing that. That's basically where I'm at. And I'm trying to think of what else we've done. We went to some antique stores, which was fun up in Guthrie, ran through all the different antique shops looking at cool stuff. I spent $1. Uh, we went to Mary's Swap Meet outside Midwest City, which is a giant swap meet where people sell anything from chickens and goats to fruit and crafts and garage sales and clothes and guns. And that was basically the whole place. Anything you could pull out of your vehicle and put on a table, it was there. It was for sale. I think we talked about that last time too. We might have. I can't remember. The whole weeks have been kind of running together. We've been doing a lot of antique shopping, going to a lot of secondhand stores, thrift stores, comic stores, stores galore, I guess you'd say. It's been very fun to go dig through old stuff and try to find something cool. And Delton's also bought me books. I have. What did I what did I buy you? You bought me a book, uh I forget what it's called, something chemistry. Uh, but it is a book about a woman in the nineteen sixties who's trying to make it as a chemist, and you could definitely guess the antics arise. And then he also got me I'm glad my mom died. He actually found a copy. It's yeah. been sold out on Amazon forever, back ordered for two months, can't find it at Barnes and Noble, can't find it anywhere. Went to our friendly local bookstore, the best of books, and there is Miss Jeanette McCurdy's smiling face holding an urn of her mother's with confetti coming out there was the book i'm glad my mom died it was a very dark tale that somehow she has made funny and also heartbreaking and also heartwarming highly recommend but it's not for the faint of heart yeah i've we've heard nothing but great things about it Haley wanted to read it and i've been trying to keep an eye on like barnes and noble stock and like at one point the tulsa location one of their barnes and noble or their only one whichever got it and I was like, I'm not going to try to have them hold it for days and days because they won't hold it for more than a few days for pickup. Uh, so I just moved on. But then this last weekend, we had went to the farmer's market downtown and went into Frenzy and had a few beers and tried some stuff of theirs we hadn't had because we haven't really had a drink in their brewery here in Edmond. It's always loud. More over 25. It's every time you go by in the afternoons, it's packed. And like you can tell that you have to literally yell across the table to have a conversation. And that's not my kind of environment to be in. 
I just don't like that. But we went right like five minutes after they opened. We had, when we went in, we were like the fourth and fifth people, I think. And it stayed pretty much that way the whole time. And it was nice and chill. Talked to the bartender a bit. Had some beers. Uh, and then we walked next door to the antique store and looked around. They had overpriced old toys uh, that weren't for me. And then we went to Best of Books, where we found that book, which is a neat little bookstore we've known about and just never gone to. And it's very small, but they were really nice and helpful. And they actually had a nice range of things to look through. I actually went to them during the pandemic. They did curbside. Mm -hmm. So I called in, asked them to order a book for me and do the curbside pickup, which was really nice. We'll have to keep in mind to like go check them out and then have them order books for us because I like supporting local bookstores when I buy. It's just I don't know of any that are near us, but that's I think the closest one. That's like an actual local bookstore. We did that. Went to that other comic shop that also sold CBD and weed and shoes. Very strange, eclectic collection of things, but the employees were nice, and the comics were pretty cool. It was a lot of newer stuff, but still neat. Uh, bought a few things from them, and that's been kind of what we've done, I think. We've watched a lot of what we do in the shadows and prep for Spooky Month. And bought pumpkins! We bought some pumpkins for the house. And we're going to get our Halloween stuff out on Sunday. Yeah, we'll get our Halloween decorations out. I've got some uh, organizing in the house to do. I organized my computer room a while back. It's really nice now. And so we're going to keep organizing, cleaning stuff up, and try to get the house where we can decorate and rotate. And I'm excited. It's going to be great, y'all. It's going to be good. But something else we've done is try and play a few games here and there in our busy schedule of the past few weeks. Uh, and we're going to talk about one of those games. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. So today, the game we're talking about is Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, I'm going to just try to refer to it as Arnak from now on. But Arnak was nominated for the Kennerspiel des Jahres in 2021, the German game of the year and technically strategy game of the year for this one. It did not win it. I don't remember what game won. I... It was either Cascadia, no, Cascadia was just the game of the year. I really don't know. I don't know which one got the Kennerspiel. But this game was nominated, and I think for a good reason. If you ever look at the nominations for the Kennerspiel and the, the Spiel, if you don't know what that is, uh, uh, Spiel des Jahres is game of the year, Kennerspiel des Jahres is the strategy game of the year, and Kinderspiel des Jahres is the kids game or family game of the year. And they are like the de facto game of the year company or like awards people organization organization thank you uh but the games that they tend to put in their categories are never going to be something that's super obscure they're almost always going to be even the strategy games are almost always going to be of a like uh mid to lightweight family appropriate in my opinion from what i've looked at and I think that's awesome because that means these games are, even the harder ones, are generally more uh, accessible and more approachable for a uh, a group that might have newer members or members that are kind of adverse to putting down, you know, a three-hour game. Something like that. So Arnak was on that, which is very cool. Uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak is published by CGE, Czech Games Edition. Uh, CGE makes some great games. Uh, it is designed by Min and Elwin. I don't know their last names, or if that is their last names, but this is all we get. Development team is Michael Stock and Michaela Stakova. Graphic design is Philip Murmach. Art direction is Jacob Pulitzer. The art is Andrzej Herdina, Milan Vavron, Yuri Kus, 
and Fontisek Sedlasek. Uh, the production is Vit Vodica, and the rulebook writer is Jason Holt. So Lost Ruins of Arnak is a game that takes several different, uh, or at least a few different mechanisms you're used to in board gaming, and puts them all into one in what I think ends up being a pretty smooth and interesting game experience. The theming of the game is that you are, I don't know if it says you're explorers or what the like story thing is, but essentially you are some kind of like explorer, you know, uh, Indiana Jones type. You've discovered an uninhabited island that is, uh, that has the lost ruins of Arnak, an ancient civilization, and you're able to find traces of this civilization. So the island is uh, technically uninhabited. Uh, there is nobody here, but there are these really interesting, uh, you know, artifacts uh, within these ruins. So in the game, you are going to do a couple different things to make the, uh, to really just to play the game toward the end. It has a small bit of deck building. It has a little bit of worker placement and it has resource management. And those are the three main things you'll do in the game. On your turn, you're going to, you know, draw your hand of five cards. Everybody does. And then one at a time, you will take an action. Uh, you will only draw a new hand at the very end of the round. So you'll take an action. And if that action is to play a card, you do whatever that card does. Then the next player goes, comes back to you. You now have that hand of four cards left. You can play a card. Then it's going to keep going around. You can put a worker out. You can uh, research on the research track, whatever else you're doing until everybody's got nothing left to do or essentially everybody passes, and then you'll start the next round. Uh, the way that the cards are going to work, there's a few different ways that they work. They can either work for movement, which is how you put your little workers on the board. You have two workers. You can go to new sites and dig at them, which is essentially worker placement. You put them there, you get the reward. Or you can explore adding new sites. It's actually, I believe, called Discover. Adding new sites to the board uh, which can later be used as new worker placement sites that have a stronger or better benefit of going there. But that's really how the game's going to function. On your turn, you get one action, and then you get as many free actions as you would like. Uh, the free actions really make it where your turns can feel like you're doing a lot, even though you're not. You're like, I'll play this to get this, play this to do this, do this to do that. And it's almost all something that's like, I'm missing this one resource, how can I get it? And the free actions are going to get you there. That's essentially, in my experience, kind of how I, uh, how I define the differences in the actions. Free actions will get you that last piece you might be missing, where your main actions are going to do all the other stuff. You know, earlier in the podcast, we talked about replicating an experience. And I really feel like this game does a really good job of replicating the experience of learning. Because there's one track where you have to do more reading before you can do more, or do more discovering before you can do more learning. Uh, and when it comes to the actual playing of the game like you have to look at different areas in order to know what's there you have to make sure the areas are safe before you can actually go there uh, whenever it comes to your deck at first you can draw five cards but as you get more tools as you get more resources you're able to you know draw from your knowledge deck not only more different kinds of knowledge but more knowledge you can use at the same time yeah it's really interesting because the the research track you talked about the research track is basically it's a way to gain points as well as benefits of assistance and more uh, resources. But the research track, you have two tokens to move up at a magnifying glass and a book. 
The book can never surpass your magnifying glass on how high up the track it goes, because you have to see something before you write it down. That's how the game explains it. So your magnifying glass is going to go up and get places, giving you certain rewards, and then as you bring your book up the track as well, it's going to give you different rewards for hitting the same tiers. It's a pretty interesting little system. The very top of it is basically just the best points in the game out of one thing. If you can hit the top, that's a lot. Uh, but that research track is really interesting. And then like Haley said, with your deck, at first you have four very basic cards where they're only actions aside from being movement uh, for your workers, which I'll, I'll explain that in a little more detail, are going to be a fast action for getting a resource. Or you've got a couple fear, which are simply movement and point, negative points at the end of the game. Now, at the beginning, and this is one of my favorite mechanics in this game, and I think that it's part of what makes this game's theme tie in so well to how it plays and how it feels to give you that like Indiana Jones-like feel. When you are getting cards on your turn, when you want to buy a card, there are two types. There are tools and artifacts. Artifacts are things being found, but essentially at this new location, and tools are something you can get you know, from camp or have someone send to you, whatever. There is a row of six cards at the top of the board, and those six cards are the offer that you get to purchase from. At the beginning of the game, there are five tool cards there and one artifact. In the second round of the game, there are four tools and two artifacts. And then there are three tools and three artifacts in the third round, two tools and four artifacts in the fourth. And in the last round of the game, there's one tool and five artifacts. And that is, and the book even explains it this way, that is a thematic representation of being further and further away from base camp, having less and less access to tools, but you're finding more and more because you're out exploring. And I loved that in the game. Uh, the tool cards are going to go in your deck on the, basically anything you buy goes on the bottom of your deck. So the first round or two, you're almost guaranteed that you will draw those new purchased cards, which is really fascinating. But the uh, artifact cards give you one immediate, usually very strong benefit when you buy them. But then after you do that and they shuffle into the bottom of your deck, once you draw them again, they have a cost to perform that uh, same action again. But it's really fascinating because the tool cards are going to help you do things like gain this many resources or get a free movement here or, you know, buy a card. Uh, I don't know, draw a new card from your deck. But then the artifacts are going to be like draw a card, discard a card, or uh, buy another artifact for free right now, or take a tool card and put it immediately in your hand, or, uh, oh, what's the term? Uh, let me see what it is, because it's a transition to one of the things. Overcome a guardian for free, where your worker is. Uh, and those are super, super strong abilities. So those artifacts you find later in the game are very beneficial because they're so powerful, and they actually it helps the game scale where the tools that aren't as great late, uh, you don't have as many of those to choose from now. You have more of the powerful cards to choose from, which I find to be a really interesting kind of split. Uh, now, when I said overcoming a guardian, when you go discover a new location, which is to go to a blank place uh, with using movement and paying some stuff, but you're going to flip a new tile saying, this is a new worker placement spot. There's going to be a guardian come there, whether it be a spooky dragon vulture thing or a big cat or a alligator, or a giant toad, or whatever, you can overcome the guardian, which is essentially pay resources if your worker's there. Guardian will give you a boon, something to benefit you. It's worth five points at the end of the game. And if you don't uh, overcome a guardian, 
then if your worker's in that space at the end of the round, whenever everyone retrieves them, you take another fear card into your deck, which is bad because fear is negative points at the end of the game and clogs your hand of five, which is a very limited thing. All that being said, all these mechanics have such a good theme to them. You're, you're discovering new sites, but there's some kind of guardian there that's blocking you from doing anything and you have to shoo them away. You know, you can look at it in whatever way, but I think that their terminology of overcoming the guardian is great because that could be in multiple different ways. It's not saying you're killing it, but you're overcoming it. You're somehow succeeding. You're getting past it. And I liked that they kind of went with that. And I do too. I think I just have kind of mixed feelings about the theme still. And I think that's valid, but go ahead and talk about those. So, you know, I want to say this is much better than the theme of Thebes, which we'll kind of talk about here in a little bit. But if you remember, Thebes is an archaeology game, and the cover just really says it all, where it is a very uh, European-dressed white guy in 1920s garb who is loading artifacts into, like, his bag or load his artifacts into something with uh, non-white people who are kind of helping him load stuff. And so it's very much the theme of the game is you're basically a a, a European archaeologist going into... Uh, the Mesopotamia region, uh, Greece, and uh, Egypt, and excavating and taking stuff back to the museums. And I feel like that is a very uh, colonial view of archaeology and one that was very unfortunate, very much unfortunately prominent as evidenced by the British History Museum. But this game, the Lost Ruins of Aranach, I really feel like they tried to do better. Um, like Delton said, it's not an inhabited island, and whatnot. You're not actually taking them from people. And actually, you're not even taking artifacts. You're just exploring and you're learning. But it still feels a little bit icky because you're in a place that is definitely not a European place. You're excavating for knowledge or having to overcome the guardians in order to get to the knowledge. It's, it's, it's basically stuff that it should not be touched, stuff that's not theirs. I just still have a lot of mixed feelings about it. I was telling Delton, I just really want one of these days somebody to make a board game, an archaeology board game, where basically you're just like, I don't know, excavating Graceland or something. Is that oh, what, for sure. Like, I mean, think about it. Like, if, if there was a board game where archaeologists from, I don't know, uh, Australia or whatever come in and excavate the grave of George Washington, how would that feel? Or, I know I said jokingly, but excavating the, the grave in the site of Graceland, like, mm, Taking taking Elvis and his property back to Australia or whatever, that, that would feel kind of bad. And that's what archaeology games kind of feel like. And I, I, I know that Indiana Jones has always been one of my favorite movies, but now it's kind of problematic watching it, not as an eight-year-old. But uh, I don't know. I have this, this theme feels like it's better, but it still has some of that, mm, we're not supposed to be here kind of feeling. There's some other people, some other content creators that have talked about that, that like, yes, this isn't colonialism, but isn't it in a way, right? It's very interesting. I think that in terms of, so like, here's the, if, here's the goal of the game in the rule book. It says, your task is to lead an expedition to explore the uncharted island of Arnak and discover the secrets of a vanished civilization. You will equip your expedition with useful items, search the jungles for mysterious artifacts and intriguing archaeological sites struggle to overcome the guardians of those sites, and, perhaps most importantly, piece together the fragments of Arnak's ruins into a coherent body of research that could lead to the discovery of the Lost Temple. So you're literally trying to find the Lost Temple of Arnak, so the research track itself, the very top of that research track, 
is called the Lost Temple or the Temple. So that's the whole thing is you're researching as you go, getting these artifacts, getting these resources to then be able to find the temple. But, uh, you know, like, like you were saying, they did a very good job of making it, you know, it's an abandoned island. There's nobody that lives here. There's no human beings anymore. It's an ancient vanished civilization. You're going into research and do all this stuff, but it does still kind of have that feel of, I mean, Yes, it's hard because yes, this kind of actual research needs to be done in the world. Like learning about things, studying things, finding things out. That's how we know so much about different cultures across the world. The the key difference is collecting things, taking things, studying things, claiming things to be found, now they're yours, right? Defeating guardians. Yes, overcome, <laughs> overcoming the guardians is the kind of weird one there. Um, but the good thing is this doesn't have, you take this back to England and show your, <laughs> you know, run your museum, blah, blah, blah. Right, like uh, Thebes does. Like Thebes does, yeah. I just want to point out, yes, I did equate our first president to Elvis Presley. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically the game, right? It's, it's a very fun game, though. I'm, like, I'm going to come back around to that. Yes, there's some, a few issues here with the, the theme. There's things in it that you're kind of like, eh, okay, but this one, for me, is by far in terms of I'm an archaeological explorer looking at things, this is by far the easiest to palette. It hits the table easy. It's beautiful. It is not depicting anything that you would like tell, be like, oh, that's kind of icky feeling. It's just a, you know, yeah, it's still a, a, a topic, a subject, a theme that dan- it, they're trying to dance around something that still has an issue. But I think that this game does it better than any i've played yet but that's a problem too like with modern archaeology it seems like it's getting better but yes. archaeology has not had a history of cultural competency or sensitivity or acknowledgement beyond what i can take oh i mean talk about the greek marbles oh i'm sorry the elgin marbles the greek marbles talk about those and then there you go it's all you need to know right and the countless native american cultural items that oh, are yeah. in museums is oh look at this rather than no oh, that's that's sacred. That's for religious purposes. Like, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot to it. There's a lot of nuance missed in board games like this. If it's not a board game based on recovering artifacts for the actual, like, you know, ancestors of those uh, artifacts, original owners, you know, something like that. There's a, that whole conversation, and we could probably talk about that forever. We will not have a decent archaeology themed board game until we. As a common people are excavating Graceland for points. <laughs> for points. All the points. First one to find the toilet wins. I, I, really, I, I called dibs on that. It's going to be my next game. That's fine. You can do it. We'll make it. But yeah, so that's, that's Lost Ruins of Arnak. It's aside from the theme, like aside from the fact that the theme is still kind of in the direction that you're like, all right, aside from that, I think that this is the best way they've, uh, that a game has approached this theme before. And I also think this game is very fun. I find the deck building to be interesting and fun, the way you use the cards. I find the way that you discover new locations on the board using cards for movement, flipping them over, overcome the guardians, resource management, you know, the, the research track. I find this game to be fun. And that's what I've had with it. Both times I've played it now, I've said, I really like this. Uh, the base game comes with two sides to the board. It has the first side, which is the bird temple. And then it has the second side, which is the snake temple, which makes things just a little different, a little more complicated in spots, but all in all the same. 
uh, there is an ex- uh, expansion to the game. I have heard and read that the expansion is a must-have, not because the, f- the main game needs the expansion, but because the expansion is just so good that everyone needs it if you like the game already. So I was like, well, that's pretty cool. I'm fine with that. So at some point, I will pick that up. I think it's on my list for the BGG Bazaar, hoping somebody's just got the expansion chilling. But uh, this game also has a solo mode. Have not attempted the solo mode as usual. Uh, And so far, like I said, have not attempted the Snake Temple side of the board, which has a few extra rules here that I uh, will have to go through, which is pretty short. But all in all, really like this game a lot. I've had a lot of fun with it. It's a game I want to play. Uh, the minute I got it out and got the rule book out, I was like, oh, I just want to play this game. Like, I've really had a lot of fun. Uh, little bits of issues with the theme aside. I say little bits. You know, again, this is the best presentation of the theme. Yes. Putting that aside, this is a really great game. Progress, but not perfection. Still mixed feelings. Not Graceland. Yes. But speaking of Graceland and this game and everything else, before we do anything else, I think we need to explore the next beer. What? We're going to explore the next beer. <laughs> What's that to do with Graceland? Because when you excavate a place, you have to explore it at the same time. Uh. Trying to make a clever transition, Haley. <laughs> but it was going to be after we pour the beer. Here's the thing. I put timestamps in, and I don't want someone to be like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead to the topic. And then the first part of the topic is us opening a beer. To me, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm coming for the topic. No, give the people what they want. No, I'm trying to make sure the beer goes before transitions. I forget constantly, but it is something that I think about when I go back and edit. I went, oh, man, I should have moved that. So I try to change things around. Give me your glass. (laughs) Won't you grace land my taste buds with the presence of this beer? How's that? That's a transition for you. Bam. Clever. You're sleeping outside. (laughs) Give me a tent. Actually, I might be sleeping outside. It sounds amazing. It's like 68, 69 degrees. It's nice Nice. Out. It's officially nice weather in Oklahoma. Remind me next time to get two regular glasses because <laughs> I can't tell if one's got more. I think I keep having more than you. You definitely keep giving yourself more and than I'm me. And I'm trying not to, but it's really hard because my glass is short and stumpy. Just just pour some of yours in the mine because it's my favorite beer of all time. All right, hang on. You're taking more of it. So the beer for today, the second beer for today is Pumpkin Ale from Dogfish Head. We had this exactly 24 episodes ago, so says our Excel sheet. We did. This is a brown ale brewed with pumpkin and spices. It is 7% alcohol by volume, a redesigned, not as cute, but awesome and spooky label. Uh, Dogfish Head, as always, knocking it out of the park with everything. This is my most favorite beer of all time. I love this beer. I get it every year. It is something I look forward to. I went looking for it the other day, and I found one liquor store about 10 miles away that actually had one six-pack left, and I nabbed it for you listeners and for my taste buds. So please enjoy this moment with us. Even though we've had it before, it's worth having again for the beginning of getting into spooky month. Not quite there. Spooky month. But yes, it smells like pumpkin spice. But here's the thing. It's got a nice, clear, crystal clear, like amber color to it, which I love. But here's the thing about this beer. A lot of pumpkin spice shit is more spice than pumpkin it's more novelty it's, yes it's a very novelty it's it's a it's a pungent like it, it's almost like how banana flavored candy does not taste like banana it just tastes like this fake banana flavoring well that banana is a, an extinct banana but i can talk about that forever the, that's true but still, okay grape a yeah. grape flavored candy does not taste like a grape right that's how a lot of pumpkin spice shit is it's like this is pumpkin spice you're like that's not what pumpkin spice tastes like you guys have cranked this to 11 it's killing me 
and it's all sugar. But Dogfish Head nails it because it tastes like pumpkin pie, but like toned back a little. It's like they brewed beer with your grandma's pumpkin pie. It really, they've just nailed it. I don't know how they do it. They kill it every time they do something. And this tastes like pumpkin pie. It's not too sweet. It's not too bitter. There's not a ton of that clove in there. You know, there's not a ton of all those spices, but they've, they've just hit it on the head. And I, I love Dogfish Head. They ship nationwide, too. Like, this is out of Delaware, so y'all should be able to find it in your friendly local liquor store. Highly recommend it. Have you a six-pack or just get you a Starbucks Frappuccino on the way home. There you go. And then I'm going to let this beer explore my intestines as we move on to the topic. Yep. I feel like the sales for Dogfish Head Pumpkin Ale went up 800% after my review. And down 900% after your review. I want this beer to explore my insides like nobody has before. That's where we're at. <laughs> Sounds like the Pokemon theme song, and I don't like it. Uh, I want to be explored by beer like no one ever has. Bam, bam, bam. This beer is in my mouth. It's going to rhyme weird. Uh, the whole thing's weird. <laughs> I don't know how to fix it. Either way, pumpkin beer's good. Let's move to this topic already. We're here. Let's do it. Let's go. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. It's going to be on Wattpad Monday morning. Wattpad? Yeah. Fan fiction site. Wattpad. Someone's going to listen to this on is, Sunday. Is this, is this something that Allison told you about? No, it's something that every... How did you learn Wattpad? Every teenage girl had a Tumblr in 2009 knows what Wattpad is. Uh, Uncultured uh, swine. Uh, Tumblr's a problem. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> our topic for today on this apparently long episode is exploration. Now, we literally bounced around four or five ideas for the topic for this episode, and the problem was is several of them were sort of duplicated topics from other episodes that we've done. And some of them just didn't feel like we kind of didn't have enough on it that we felt like it was a, a good enough topic to truly get in, dive into and get into. It was basically me sitting across from Delton while he's eating toast saying, what about this? And he goes, no. I said, okay. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went this morning. Uh, but it's been a struggle to figure out a topic for this because it's a game with mechanics we've covered. It's a theme that we knew we would talk about during the game, but also we've talked about you know, sensitive themes. We've talked about doing themes correctly. We've talked about theme tie-ins to mechanics. So it was like, what can we do that's slightly different kind of? And we want to talk about, it sort of is a bridge of kind of everything, of exploration in games and the presentation, the mechanical aspects, some way of how exploring, uh, exploration is presented in, in board games and which ones work well. And hopefully that's a fun topic for y'all to listen to. <laughs> but Something that Lost Ruins of Arnak does really well with his exploration is it makes it feel like, uh, mechanically, they're actually doing something to kind of explore these areas, right? So when you are exploring or discovering a new area on the board, you will have to pay movement costs with the cards in your hand by discarding them with no other abilities on them. And the different places you go either take footsteps, walking, they can take boat, they can take car, or they can take airplane. An airplane is kind of a wild. It can cover everything. The boats and the cars are either their own thing, or they also can cover uh, the walking underneath it, and walking is by itself. So sometimes you want to go to explore a new place. It's going to take two cars. You have to burn two cards from your hand that have cars on them, 
Or you can have a tool that you bought that gives you two cars, something like that, right? You gonna pay your you gonna you're gonna pay with uh, that movement cost. You're gonna pay a number of compasses, which is one of the resources in the game. Then you're gonna put your worker where he's supposed to go. You're going to take the tablet. I'm sorry, the rune tile. I think is what it's called. The little rune from that space gain its benefit. Then you're going to take a new tile location tile, flip it face up on that spot, giving you a new worker placement tile, giving you that reward as if you just placed your guy. And then you place a guardian down. So there's some interesting things happening there, like quite a bit at once. But the fact that you have to consider the movement of where you're going, you're gaining something for discovering it. You're gaining the benefit of being just going there, whether you discovered it or not, right? When you discover it, you get it as if you just went there. But you also being the first person, now you've, you know, awoken the guardian that you have to overcome on a later turn if you have the resources. Otherwise, you're going to get a fear at the end of the round. And I feel like that little bit of like exploring like that just feels so nice because it feels like, you know, the artwork's pretty and the creatures are cool and the way you get benefits and you want to be the first to explore because it's a strong action. You get a lot of stuff for being the first to uh, to discover a new location. And so I feel like Arnak does a really good job bringing in that exploration because that's like half of the game. Another game that does that is also a similar theme is Escape Curse of the Temple. So in order to get what you need to get out, and this is another problematic theme where you, you go in and you are basically trying to get jewels and exit the temple with those jewels before it collapses. Well, you go in and your, your dice rolls help you to determine if you're able to go into the next room or open it up. And you don't know what's going to be in that next room. It could be the jewels. It could be a trap. It could be a curse. And so that's another one where you are flipping over those tiles and having to uh, defeat or snatch or go into and explore wherever, whatever is revealed in that tile. And I feel like that one, along with Magic Maze, which is a different theme, but still exploring, that's one of the versions of exploration, right? So like Arnak does it where you know that there's something that's going to be there, but it's a worker placement spot. It's not like you're going to move there and then you have to move through it. But Magic Maze and Escape Curse of the Temple, both of those are where whatever you flip, you're going to have to either go into or travel around or out of to be able to get stuff. So it's a little a little more based on where you're moving. You know what I'm saying? Like It's a little bit different the way you discover it, but that is another version of kind of exploring something is physically exploring a space, looking for something specific where Arnak is exploring just to explore and see what you receive sort of thing. And get your benefits. Yes. And then Clank gets another one where you are flipping tiles in order to explore a dungeon. So you don't flip tiles in Clank. It's been a while since we've played. Oh, what are you doing, Clank? So Clank, it's a deck builder as well, but it has the board is the full dungeon. You're exploring, exploring, I said that so weird. You're exploring further in the dungeon. The tiles you're flipping are like, the rewards or bad things that you're getting as you try to go down, get the most valuable goods from the dragon's cave and then bolt out of that place uh, with that little bit of like push your luck. So it's exploring in a different way because you know what, you know where you are, you know what it takes to get where, but you're exploring the individual rooms. Um, That's just, Clank is just a little bit different because you're exploring what's in the rooms more than exploring the actual, like something completely new. So it kind of works, but it also kind of is like an edge case here. So, like betrayal, like a betrayal, you go to different rooms and you never know what you're going to find. You might find a haunt, you might find something else. So, betrayal is in the way that escape and magic maze, you're flipping those over, moving through them, and finding things, right? Clank, everything is revealed except what's in the room. 
Like, you can see the room, you know where the room is, you know if there is something there, you just don't know what it is. You could flip it and have something bad, or you can flip it and have something good. But all the rooms, you see. You can travel, you can do all that. But it's like, I stop in this room, I see that this has an item, I flip the item token, and the item tells me something. So maybe that one doesn't quite fit, and I got too overzealous there. But uh, Betrayal, definitely, you're exploring the different rooms of the house, flipping them over, running through them, trying not to get a haunt. Uh, that's kind of similar. Uh, I put Gloomhaven. I've only played Jaws of the Lion, but a lot of dungeon crawls kind of have an exploration, whether it's, you know, you you stumble across a room, you go into the room, and then boom, suddenly all the room's revealed. It's very RPG-like, where once you go in somewhere, somebody has to describe it to you, and you kind of explore in that case, and open doors, and find locked closets, and mimics, and treasure, and enemies, and kind of explore in that way. So I feel like exploring really does go all over the place, doesn't it? Yes, and the very last place that I feel like it, it goes in the games that we own is in Holding On to Life, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr. And that's a different kind of exploration game because you're basically exploring the memories of Billy Kerr. And as you go on through the game, as you replay, you collect more memories, the memories become more clear, and you're, you're just exploring the psyche. And I think I really like that one the most. One, because I'm a mental health therapist, is kind of what I do. But two, because it takes exploration in a very different way. You know, a lot of the games that we talked about, whether it's Curse of the Temple, you know, whether it's Lost Runes of uh, Arnak, or if it's Clank, you're exploring the areas, and either you're revealing the areas or you're exploring, you know, what is in those rooms to get the resources. And with holding on, you're exploring as well, but it's it's a very different use of that exploring, and I really appreciate that. It is. It's more of a more of a conceptual explore, you know, rather than a physical explore. But it is, it's a fascinating take and something you don't see in games often where you're exploring something so different uh, in that space. And holding on is still, Stupid Fly is trying to get your beer. I didn't see him get in there, no. He got out of there. But holding on is, is still one of my favorite cooperative games because it's so fascinating and we've had such a fun time with it, even though we, you know, we had to get the good graces of Michael to get to pass... Uh, the third scenario because we failed like 10 times in a row. I am still determined to beat it. But uh, very good game. But yeah, so there's different ways of exploring things. And I feel like the big thing with exploring is how well the theme actually makes it feel like you're doing something. Yes. To me, holding on, you are exploring the memories of this person as you're helping him. Arnak, you are exploring these new locations and and learning about them as you go, right? Uh, You get something like, uh, Escape Curse of the Temple, you're exploring just in a rush, and so it's very, like, anxiety-inducing. Yeah, I feel like with Escape Curse of the Temple, you're basically running into a room saying, oh, snap, there it is, and grab it, or, oh, snap, there's a curse. Like, you're, it's it's very yeah. quick, but you, you definitely feel it. Oh, for sure, and Magic Maze is kind of the same way, right? It's all super fast-paced stuff. Um, but there's a lot of games like that, and exploration is something that I feel a lot of times tries to come along with this idea of an archaeologist or an explorer to a new land. And I think that that's fine. And in the case of Arnak, like they actually present it as bad as well as you can. However, something like Billy Kerr takes that idea to the next steps, next step, next level. And I feel like more games could explore it, uh, explore it, not, not being used hilariously the way it works. Exploration, explore it. Uh, I feel like more games could do something with it. They could do more with an idea of exploring something. And maybe I'm looking at my shelf here and just missing that. Maybe there's a game on our shelf that fits it perfectly and we're just not seeing because it's something a little more conceptual like holding on or, you know, something. But 
I think that that's a, a place where games need to go. There is something that you said that I disagree with. Mm-hmm. You said that Lost Ruins of Arnak is about the best you can do with archaeology theme. Yeah. Exploring Graceland. Okay, maybe. But it would have to be Graceland in the year, like, you know, uh, 2300. Oh, we can arrange this. We could do it. It's going to be a role-playing game. To be continued. Oh, God. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. So let's get to the question of this episode so we can close it out so I can spend, uh, uh, I might edit tonight. I might just wake up early Saturday morning and edit before we go to Tulsa for Zach and Sarah's. Basically, we have a lot of stuff going on in the next 72 hours and we are having to duct tape our schedule together and hopefully it stays all put together until we reach the finish line just like an old jalopy going to California. Uh, Haley, what's our question for the episode? What theme needs to be left behind? Or what theme and games need to be left behind? Why don't you take the lead on this for the first time, Haley? So a theme that I really think needs to be left behind is the use of mental illness as either a character trait or a flaw. You know, I feel like things like stress, anxiety, the human experience can be replicated in games without it being stigmatizing. And I know I'm biased because they're my friends, but I really like the way that... uh, Tuesday Night Games um, does stress in the Mothership series, where whenever you get stressed, oh, yeah. you can't think as clearly, you, know, you can't perform as well. No, that's taking an aspect of the human condition and applying it to the game in a way that is not stigmatizing and does make sense, because when you get stressed, you can't think as clearly. Yeah. On the flip side, if you're playing a game and you develop PTSD, and for the rest of the game, you are hindered in what you can do and your actions aren't as good, that's a little bit problematic there. Pandemic season one. Pandemic season one. Pandemic legacy, I should say. And, you know, not that PTSD doesn't lead to, you know, very difficult circumstances for folks, but PTSD is not a lifelong thing. You can get support. People can draw strength from trauma. Not everyone does. But it doesn't have to completely define and ruin your characters because you had a traumatic experience. I really just don't like, I really don't like the use of mental illness as something negative as a consequence, or as a character. Like, I I really like time stories, but there were some characters you play in the first season where, oh, you are the narcissist, or you are the drug addict, or whatnot. And then also Arkham Horror. I love Arkham Horror. But everything in the Arkham Horror universe is going crazy, going mad, going insane. And what what game was it? One of them, like, one of the characters had OCD, and, like, that that was a problem. Uh, I, so that I think that was time stories. Oh, the time stories. I, I believe that was time stories. And like, yes, I, I feel like you can present mental illness, or you can present symptoms of stress, anxiety, whatever, in a game. But if it's presented as part of the human experience and maybe character development, and maybe n- not even something that you have to overcome, but just like something that's part of someone they can live with and still function, rather than oh, this is a consequence, and you've lost half your actions. Goodbye. Cool. I don't like that. These we left behind. Goodbye. Yeah, I mean, I think that's understandable. You also come from a profession that understands those things more than most. But I think that, if anything, that that really shows how uh, the board game world. Now, given the board game world has improved in a lot of ways in the past several years, but I think that shows uh, one of the biggest things in the board game world, which is consultation. They need more consultation on everything if they're wanting to present something like that or 
present certain cultures appropriately or whatever. Call me for your mental health consultation needs, board gamers. Not right. therapy, but consultation. Exactly. I think that's a very good answer, though. Uh, I struggle with finding answers to these kinds of things because I'm always hopeful in my brain that someone does it well, and I'm like, this is amazing. You know, and anytime we find a game that we feel does it right, we obviously sing high praises, uh, you know, for just all kinds of stuff. I'll give you an answer. I mean, the easy answer is colonialism. Yes. Colonial. You know, colonialism is definitely one of those themes that, like, we could we could just move on now. And there's been games, you know, Arnak tries to get around it by saying, completely uninhabited island of a lost, vanished civilization. Okay, cool. There's nobody there that's good. It doesn't mean it's not colonialism if you come in, research the stuff. Pretty soon, 100 years later, there's going to be a metropolis there. That's just how this works. That's what history's shown. And I think colonialism, we, we could move past that at some point. But I also feel that there's certain aspects of it, or at least historical contexts, that can be used to have a good game and also teach a thing. But I feel like the problem is putting the teach a thing in there and make it right. <laughs> yes. You know, or I mean, I guess the, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough one, but what was your, what was your answer you were going to give me? Is anything related to sky traders? Well, you just didn't like the theme of that game. It, well, not should... the theme. it was the artwork and the characters because they were not good caricatures. I will not step off of my sky trader soapbox. I understand. Until the day I die. I understand. That one was down to the artwork, not the me mechanisms of the game itself. But yes, that's fine. Uh, but really, I don't know. Like, I think colonialism's the easy answer um, because I, I don't, you know, I don't. There's not a game I've really said I'm not gonna play that that I can think of because of the theme or because of the setting. But there are games after playing them go, you know, that you go, hmm, feels kind of odd. Like Mombasa, great game, fun game. And it feels kind of icky. Feels a little icky. Diamond trade, and you're just playing like the Dutch or the French or the English or whatever, and you're like, nah, nah. this kind of has a bad connotation. Yes, it references it in the book. Still kind of bad. Is that colonialism? Pretty sure it's still part of colonialism, right? Because a lot of those places were colonies of these other countries. So I guess my answer just comes back to colonialism. The only times I feel icky in a game when colonies are involved. <laughs> and the thing is, there's been like ten thousand colonial board yes, games for sure like do another theme do plants do cats do excavating graceland just kidding don't do that because i'm gonna do that yeah there's there's so many more things you can do we're, we're tired of seeing you let's go here and build a new civilization herder we don't need that anymore build a sandcastle build a cult there you go there's probably a game out there like that. Sandcastle's good though you're a bunch of kids on the beach building sandcastles sandcastle cult that could be a fun little buildy game that's a cool idea. Anyway, I feel, like this, of them, baby. I feel like this question segment went on way too long. <laughs> Give the but people what they want. More of my voice. That's fine. But so has a lot of this episode. I'm going to have to do quite a bit of editing, and hopefully we'll figure out a time for me to get that done in the next 48, less than 48 hours. IDK, I feel like this podcast went along seamlessly and smoothly. Sure, sure. Whatever. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Moth House Games podcast, episode number 127. Hopefully our ranting and raving and babbling on has not uh, dissuaded you from continuing listening to our podcast. If you liked it, make sure to give us a like and subscribe and share it and tell your friends about us. 
and, you know, do all that kind of dumb stuff, send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. You can always find us at Malthouse Games on all social media. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. And don't forget to thank our Patreon backers, my deli. I hadn't got to that point yet. But yes, you can send us an email for any kind of topic you want us to cover, question you want us to answer, beer you think we should find, or game that you think we need to play and talk about on the podcast. I have my eyes on a couple for the next episode. We're going to see, because one of them I want to buy. And uh, yeah, no, fun budget money has been running low, so I probably won't, but we'll see what happens. Maybe Haley will be really nice and I can blink blink and she can buy it for me. But I already gave you 10 extra dollars. I mean, that's true. But yes, so a big shout out to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. We have plenty of other patrons on our Patreon. You can find all of that information at patreon.com slash games. So thanks to all of them. They make this podcast continue on, continue to improve in quality over the years and give us ways to do all kinds of different new stuff that we've dabbled in and planned for and all that crap. But yes, we're very, very uh, grateful for everybody that supports us. I just Googled Sky Traders and got angry all over again. It's much more racist than I thought. It is. It really is. Uh, yeah, the artwork in that was was uh, troublesome, <laughs> problematic, wrong, whatever you want to say. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's going to wrap this episode up. I got to do massive amounts of editing on this, I think, at this point. Uh, but we've got crap to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Mouse House Games podcast. Uh, until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.